unusual. I'm not afraid of what the Lord has given me to say. I don't believe anything hard or difficult. For some reason, I just need you to on my heart. Because you know what happens when I get nervous, I talk real fast. And of all times, you do not need me talking. You need to hear me. I had a professor years ago when I was in seminary. Actually, I had just started the first summer term before the first fall of our four years And that was the days when it was, our, our denomination was in decline. And the professor had been a professor at Southern for a long, long time. And he said, people always say to me, Clyde, just don't make waves. Just don't make waves, and everything will be fine. He said, I looked him square in the eye and said, the only time a boat doesn't make waves is it's dead still in the if the church of Jesus Christ is a movement that is moving forward, beloved, i got news for you. It's going to make waves. And that's not a bad thing. We live in a world where it's just let's, let's get along and go along. And while we don't need to be difficult, we don't need to be snarky, we don't need to be self-righteous, we don't need to be arrogant, we don't need to be argumentative, we must understand that if we are going to move forward, Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, there will be waves. And it, this is exactly what happened when we get to chapter 4. Chapter 3, this wonderful miracle has happened. This man, born crippled, crippled all of his life, is healed miraculously. Everyone is gathering around in Solomon's portico, amazed at what they have seen. Peter shares the gospel, and bam! Chapter 4, here come the police. What are you boys up to? The temple police come. And what I want us to do today, this is a fairly straightforward story, I want us to walk through chapter 4 and just grab a few key words that we're going to come back in a few minutes and unpack, okay? I'll probably just say a little bit about them, but then we're going to come back and unpack them in a few more minutes. So as we read again the passage that Chuck read for us a few moments ago, let's just take a second or two and see what we can find. In verses 1 to 4, we start in Acts chapter 4, now as they were speaking to the people, right in the middle of their sermon, the priest, the commander of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were provoked that they were teaching the people and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead using Jesus as the example. So they seized them, put them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. I want to stop right there. First word on our list is number, numbers, and growth. Do numbers matter to God? The answer is simple. You bet they do. Because every number is someone who has come from death to life. Every number is about a person who has come from the darkness of their lostness into fellowship with Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that a few, little bit more. Verse 5. The next day their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. And after they had Peter and John stand before them, they asked the question, by what power or in what name have you done this? 
The second thing I want to add to our list is the fact that the opposition that these men were facing were from the religious leaders of their own religion. You have to remember that even though these followers of Jesus, two, two millennia later, 20 centuries later, are seen as being almost as far away from the Jewish, our Jewish roots as we could possibly be, in those days, these men were still Jews. They were at the temple. They were at the time of prayer. They were doing all the things that were supposed to happen as part of being Jewish people. And their own leaders, the ones that should have been the most excited about what was going on, were the ones that were giving them so much trouble. Why? Because they were threatened. Their position, their relationship to Rome, their power, their influence. They were the ones that determined who could and could not speak. They were the ones that had the rules that had to be followed. And suddenly these men are going off on a tangent. They've got to be stopped. Verse 8. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Stop right there. I'm going to go any further. Third thing on the list. The Holy Spirit filling him. Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected. I love the way it is in the Greek. By you builders, not by the builders, but by you builders, you, you men, you Sanhedrin, you are the builders of God's kingdom. Yet you have rejected the very one who has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people. And we must be saved by it. Two things I want to add to our list. We've got numbers, opposition, filled with the Spirit, sharing the gospel. Man, oh man, you didn't have to ask Peter's permission. Anytime he had a chance, he was talking about Jesus. It could have been on the day of Pentecost. It could have been in the temple after the healing. It could have been in front of the police, in front of the court. He was going to talk about Jesus. And his statement that there is no other name other than the name of Jesus. Our list is growing. Now we've got one, two, three, four, five. Five things on the list. Verse 13. We're going to unpack a lot of stuff in verse 13. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John, realized that they were uneducated, untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. This verse tells us all kinds of things that we need to think about. First of all, they were bold. Where in the world did Peter get this kind of boldness? Well, part of it came from being filled with God's Holy Spirit. Part of it came from the confidence he had, seeing that Jesus was actually doing through him and using him as his servant exactly what Jesus had said back in Matthew chapter 2. All authority has been given to me, Jesus said, Therefore, you go in my power. And Peter had this new boldness because of that. Also, we noticed that it was recognized that these were not men who were normally the ones that would have been qualified to do the kind of things that they were doing. They were uneducated, untrained men. And they recognized they had been with Jesus. Because you know what? These guys looked just like the one we just had killed two months ago. We thought this thing was done. Now these people are standing up in there just like he was. Just like. This doesn't mean they recognized like they didn't know before. They knew who these men were. 
but they realized, it came to their understanding. Now we know why they're doing what they're doing, because they are followers of that radical rebel. Verse 14. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in response. After they had ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign, evident to all who live in Jerusalem, has been done through them, and we cannot deny it. However, so this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide. You're the leaders. You tell us. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and two more things in that passage. Number one, with their tremendous loyalty to God rather than God. We are going to obey God, regardless of what man And they did that because of the confidence that they had in the gospel. What we have seen, what we have heard, what we have experienced, what we know to be true. Well, ten things on this. Let me add one more. Over this whole passage, the indispensability, the absolute necessity within the church of Jesus Christ of suffering. I just got to tell you, quick aside. I am shocked, surprised, amazed, astounded, bumfuzzled, B-U-M-F-E-Z-L-E-D. But here we are, those of you that were in Bible study this morning, we were in Psalm 138. Last week, I think it was the last week or two weeks ago, we were in Psalm 23. And if you were in the same kind of Bible study I was in, we talked about how the fact that it says over and over and over, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And then in Psalm 138, we talked about it, it says, when I am in a difficult place, you are with me again and again and again and again. We understand that when you're part of a movement, there will always be somebody on your tail. And if you don't want somebody opposing you and struggling with you and trying to cause you trouble, then get out now. Because if you're going to be part of the Jesus movement, there's going to be people who aren't going to like you because they don't like him. And you represent him. And whether it's somebody in Congress or whether it's somebody that's sitting, living next door to you, there will be people who will oppose you. It is absolutely indispensable. Because as people see us walk through those difficulties with God by our side, they are convicted and convinced. So there's our list. Let me read over it one more time. Numbers, opposition from the religious leaders, filled with the Spirit, sharing the gospel, no other name, boldness, uneducated, been with Jesus, loyalty to God rather than men, Confidence in the gospel and the indispensability of suffering. Okay. That's the story. We're not quite done yet. Let's unpack those things. I've rearranged them just a little bit, all right, because I think we can cluster some of them together. 
right? But I want us to begin with the first one on the list, and that's the issue of numbers. Do I believe that we should pray for God to help His church to grow in the world? Of course I do. Of course we should pray. We should pray for our congregation to continue to grow as God would see fit. There are some people that believe, however, that that is the primary indicator of whether we are being, quote, successful or not, whether we are being godly or not. And we fall, if we're not careful, into the error of chapter 3 that Peter did not fall into, and he said, hey, this is not because of us. This is not because of any power or any godliness that we have. God is doing this. See, because on the other extreme, people say, well, we don't really care about numbers. We just want to be faithful. Well, you know what? That's just an excuse. God wants the lost to come to Christ. Amen? God wants people who do not know Jesus to come to the knowledge of Christ. God wants every one of us in ways that are appropriate to the way He has gifted and enabled us to be constantly in the process of being used by Him to make disciples. Every one of us. In our own way. Where we fall into trouble is when we begin measuring the, quote, results as a criteria for how well we have done. And we forget that we plant and we water, but God brings the harvest. So yes, it is critical that we pray that God would bring the harvest. What farmer doesn't want to harvest? But the farmer knows he has no control over how good or how bad the harvest is. He cannot make it rain. I mean, this whole thing with this last wheat harvest, now I'm not a farmer, but the way I read the paper, I mean, it was at exactly the perfect time that the rain stopped, just so that wheat could start drying out, just right. Bumper crop. And actually, some people are going to be able to bring in two crops at the same time because they're going to get their soybeans in. I don't know all that stuff. Anyway, go talk to Dave Matthews. So while we pray for the harvest, we continue to do the work of plowing that God has called us to do. And as we share, and as we live, and as we express, and as we pray, and as we model, we watch and see. Let me move the last thing up to the second slide, and that's the indispensability of suffering. I don't have a lot of time to sh- work on this point, but you're going to hear a lot about this over the next few months, and you've probably heard a lot of it from me in the past as well. But I want to just make sure that we understand very, very clearly that we are called by God to suffer along with those why? Why does, God, why, why does God just, the minute you become a Christian, just relieve you of all your suffering? Because then you would not have anything to share with somebody else. But you are able to go through suffering the way that they are going through suffering, and God is there with you through that. Are there times He relieves His people? Of course there are. That's up to Him. But in addition to that, in addition to saying, well, we're walking with you through the suffering, there are times when He calls on us to suffer even more than those around us in order that we might testify to the sufficiency of Christ in our lives. Now, I know that's a hard thing to hear, but it is gospel. Part of the good news of Jesus Christ is you have all of eternity spend in peace and joy forever and ever and ever and ever. This world is going to be remade like God originally created it. Come on, if we could go back, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where we will have intimate communion with God and with each other and with the world that God created. 
So for 80 or 90 short years, just a snap of a hand, we are going to model God's sufficiency and our undying trust in Him no matter what comes to us. Because we know this, this life is not our final destination. We live for something more greater. So it is indispensable that we as individuals, as a church, and as the church must go through suffering. Those of you that went through the IMN study, the study on persecuted Christians, how many of them said, we understand this is essential so that the, Muslim, the, the radical Muslims and other radical groups that are trying to persecute us, when they see our faith, it will convict them. How else will they hear the gospel? Except watching how we go through suffering. Got some training to do. Number three, opposition from religious leaders. Now, I want you to understand, in one sense, matter of fact, the way I felt God leading me to craft the next sermons were different venues of opposition to this new movement. And I called this opposition from without, because it was outside of the body of believers. But in a sense, it was inside the outside not a good way to put it, but because all of the early church were all Jews, they were Israelites, they saw the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Sadducees still as their religious leaders. They were the ones that were supposed to understand it. That's why Peter said, you builders, you are the one that's supposed to be building the kingdom of God, and yet you've rejected the very cornerstone that God has established. Sometimes the very people that we think should give us the most support. I do not preach politics from the pulpit. I don't even think about politics. But we all know, and if you've been lived long enough, it's been in, on both sides of the congressional aisle, when one party or other has pandered to us as believers and told us things we wanted to hear and promised us things they knew we wanted so that we would give them our vote. And the minute they got into office, they forgot we ever existed. The very ones that we thought would support the morals and the ethics that we believe and that we hold dear, the ones that will walk away from us. But at a much more personal level than that, sometimes within the very religious establishment itself, Pastor Darrell, I wasn't sure exactly where you were going to go, what you shared this morning, but I remember when I came back from summer camp, so excited about my new commitment to Christ. My father, godly deacon, wonderful man, said, that's okay. It'll wear off in a week. I love my dad. And my dad later on was my biggest supporter. Mine and Sharon's biggest supporter. Once he was convinced we were really going, he was a wonderful But in that moment, my dad became a Sadducee. And some of us have done that very same thing. And part of the reason is because we're afraid if our kids get all fired up for Jesus, we've got to be more committed. Next thing you know, they're going to want to come to church all the time. I don't know if I want to do that or not, so I want to convince them, maybe you need to just, boy, just slow down just a little bit. Call to missions, you know, that's not, that, you're just excited. because. And we end up being the very tools of the enemy, squelch the excitement in the lives of our children, our grandchildren, others around us. Oh, yeah, hurt. Uneducated. We get this idea sometimes in our minds that 
you don't have a certain level of training or expertise, you can't be involved in sharing the gospel. You can't be involved in seeing lost people come to Christ. Oh, I haven't been through that course. I listen, I love the faith plan. I, I think it's, it had its day. There are some of us that still use the faith outline. I do. About half the time when I'm sharing the gospel, I use F-A-I-T-H, my way of helping people come to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. But I went to a conference several years ago over in St. Louis, and a minister of outreach and evangelism at a sister church was talking about how, even though it was a great program, what Satan had done in their church was to convince people, if you haven't been through faith, you can't share the gospel. Oh, I've not been through faith, so um, I'll, I'll call the pastor. He can take care of talking. Instead of understanding that all of us have been called to be sharers of the gospel in whatever way he has given us. And oftentimes it doesn't start with Scripture. It has to eventually get to Scripture, but it starts with our lives. Them seeing who we are, what we're about. So it doesn't matter so much what the education level is. What matters is what's the commitment level. Now let me lump together several of them. And I've called it qualities of committed servants. There are several things in Peter's life that I think will help us. Let me just lay these out. First of all was his being filled with the Spirit. Briefly, let me say that in the one hand, the minute that Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit came to reside in the life of those believers. And the minute that you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, in that instant, the Holy Spirit came to reside in your life. But the Apostle Paul teaches us that the process of being filled with God's Spirit, is a continual process. The best example I can give of that is the way it works in a marriage. Sharon and I have been married 36 years, and we love each other. We have always loved each other. That has never wavered. But we have gone through cycles when without us realizing it, we began to kind of distance ourselves from each other. You know, you get busy, your kids are in 17 different activities, and you're, you know, you're trying to share information. And next thing you know, you look at each other and you're going, wow, we haven't really had a heart-to-heart talk in weeks, months. And then we need to get back together, go off for a weekend, maybe go to a bed and breakfast over our anniversary or some other kind of trip, and just get reconnected with each other. And it's the same way in our relationship with God. Just because you're his follower doesn't mean you're always intimately connected with him every moment of every day. Daryl kind of alluded to that. And that's where we need that processing, Lord, I want you to fill me. Fill me today. Fill me in this meeting I'm going to. Fill me in this lunch that I'm going to have with a friend. Fill me in this time so that I might hear you and listen to you and be overwhelmed by your presence in my life. And that leads to the second thing, which is the boldness, which I didn't put on the list because I want to link it with sharing the gospel anywhere, anytime. Boldness to not be afraid to share. Now, when I say sharing the gospel, I don't just mean sharing an outline or sharing five Bible verses. I mean sharing what does Jesus Christ mean to you in your life. What is your relationship with God? How does it help you in your life? Because you see, when we do that, the next thing happens. And that is that people recognize that we are like Christ. We have been with Jesus. When they see how God impacts our lives, they realize that there is a radical difference between us and them. And that is okay. It really is okay. But they must see the difference first. Hear me say that clearly. They must be able to see in us a difference that then leads them to ask what is the cause of the difference, which then leads us to share with them the good news of what Jesus Christ means to us. So as these members of the Sanhedrin watched Peter and John, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. 
and that meant something. And because of that, there was a difference in their life. So as we live out our Christian life, and please understand me, now just hear me out. Okay? I've covered a lot of stuff in a very short passage in a fairly short amount of Understand what I'm about to say. Eventually, in a way that's appropriate to each one of us, we have to be able to say something to them about what's the difference between being a Christian and not being a Christian. And it's just as simple as the only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is we acknowledge Jesus as Lord of non-Christian. Jesus Christ is Lord of everyone. But some people just haven't acknowledged that. Surrendered their lives to His Lordship and to what He did for them. But it starts with the way they watch us and see what is different in us. And then we're able to share what that is. Let me move on. The reason that we're able to do that fearlessly and courageously is because our first loyalty is to God and not to man. It was one set of John Knox, a great reformer. He was so frightened of God that he had no time to be frightened of men. That frightened of God? Do we have that much of the fear of God in us that pleasing Him, obedience to Him, serving Him, surrendering to Him is more important than anything that any human being could say to us? Anything any person could do to us? Their loyalty to God, Peter and John's, and our loyalty to God becomes paramount in our lives. And that is coupled with our confidence in the gospel. In other words, what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have experienced, the change that we've seen in our own lives, that confidence coupled with a healthy fear of God and being filled with His Spirit so that He can walk and impact us gives us then the boldness to share the gospel anytime, anywhere. You want to be an effective, committed servant of Christ today, right now, June 25th, 2017 at 11.06 in the morning, here's what you do. Follow Him. Ask God to fill His Spirit. Ask Him to fill you. And then as He does that, you begin moving out courageously, loyalty to Him first, confident in how the gospel has impacted your life. Reflecting Christ in what you do and what you say and how you act so that people want to know what is it about you that's different. Last thing. This way. No other name. No other name among heaven. Let's just read. I don't know if it's on the screen. Let me just read verse 12 again. There is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. Beloved, people aren't so upset anymore these days about whether you believe that Jesus is the way to God. What upsets them is when you say Jesus is the only way to God. That's what upsets people. Well, how dare you? That's what I don't like about Christians. You think your way is the only way. We know what our response is. It's not our way. It's God's way. I don't mean to keep beating the same thing over and over again, but we've said this enough times that it's beginning to get into all of our hearts, all of our minds, which is 
So many people out there who are not followers of Christ still have a great respect. He was a great teacher, a very wise man, said wonderful things. Not if he said, I'm the only way to God and you don't believe it. He must have been a fool. Crazy. Megalomaniac. Egotist. Liar. If he was such a wise man, so in tune with God, there's a good friend of mine who's not a believer, but will often say to me, how then could he say, there is no other way for you to get to my Father except through me? We must winsomely, humbly, but firmly stand on the truth that there is no other way to God but through Jesus. And Him alone. And I don't mean by that, oh well, yeah, Jesus is the way, but they don't have to accept that. He just provides the way. And like a good Jewish person, or a good Hindu person, or a good Buddhist person will someday die, and they'll stand, and God will introduce them. This is the Messiah that you thought had not come, and here He is. No. It's appointed to men once to die, and after that, you follow my Facebook page, you saw my quote. Fast if it is true that lost men must die, may they go to hell over our dead bodies as we have done everything we can to help them come to the knowledge of Christ. Let it be with our arms wrapped around their knees, sharing with them. Or they head headlong. Now, let me finish with just a quick footnote because I just couldn't leave the next part of the chapter. I'm not going to read all of it, so Charlie, I'm sorry for you, but I'm going to kind of jump through these last few verses. Because when they got back to the church, I want you to see what the church did. It won't take five minutes. Let me just share this with you, and then we'll be done. After they were released, let me start in verse, let's start in verse 23. After they were released, they went to their own people, reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they all raised their voices to God and said, Lord, whatever you do, please take away this person. No. First thing it is, they acknowledge the sovereignty of God. Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles raise the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, etc., etc., etc. Get to verse 27. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats. Grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing, signs, and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant. You see what they did? Very simple. Otherwise, this would be a whole other sermon, but I did this on a Sunday night not too long ago, so I don't want to make you go through it again. But simply put, number one, when members from the church came back to report they had faced opposition, they prayed for them to continue to be bold in their witness. Prayed for them that God would give them hope. But not just that. They prayed for them as a church because they recognized that, number one, not just because Peter and John were leaders, but because they were part of a larger body, of a larger movement. In time, as Jesus had promised them, the trouble was going to come on the church as a whole. So they prayed for themselves. The church prayed for itself that the Lord would give them courage and boldness to stand and to signify and certify what they were doing by God's signs and wonders, and miracles. And whether that miracle is the healing of a crippled man, or whether that miracle is whatever it may be. The building of 
an old nursing home and converting it into a landmark for this town. It's taken some time. Oh, you're the ones with the beacon. Oh, I hear we're meeting at the beacon. Oh, I met one of the police officers just a few weeks ago at the beacon. I really loved coming to that movie that you had the other night at the beacon. You know, I went to a human support meeting that was held at the beacon. How in the world did you guys do that? It wasn't us. God just dropped it in our laps. We plan on building a 6,000 square foot fellowship hall. God gave us a 29,000 square foot, 29, square foot building in there. To him be the glory. So the church prayed for boldness and for God to do things that only he could do so that he would get the glory. And that was the ultimate thing they were praying for, was for God to receive the glory in everything that they did. So my question to us today is how do we oppose the opposition? What do we do to oppose those who are opposing the gospel? Well, we begin... By making sure that we are his servants, all the things that we listed a minute ago. Making sure that we are serving him, committed to him, praying for the filling by his spirit, so that we can have boldness, confident in our loyalty to God, first and foremost, Jesus Christ, his son, firm in understanding what the gospel, what salvation has done for us and in us and through us and how God is shaping us so that our lives are reflecting Christ. Those windows in our lives that we talked about back in January and I've touched on all throughout this year so far, as people look into our lives, they don't see us, they see Christ. So that anytime, anywhere, in any situation, no matter what, we are prepared to give an answer. By the way, do you remember who wrote those words? Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lives within you. It was the guy that was standing before the Sanhedrin. It was Peter. By the way, tonight in evening service, we're going to be back to the life of Peter, talking about his confession at Caesarea Philippi. But what's so important for us to understand is that as we move from being organizationally, institutionally focused to being movement focused, we have to ask ourselves, how do I become a part of that movement? And am I willing to be a part of that movement? Am I willing to understand that when I begin to move out for the gospel, it means there are going to be waves? So on your communication card, your connect card at the bottom, I put three things on the left column that we can prayerfully consider printing ourselves. The first one is to make praying for the filling of God's Holy Spirit a regular part of our lives. I just put, pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't want to embarrass Karen, Will, but I, I share with you about, just like all of you, if you're married, you go through these waves, these, these tides that come in and go out. About six, seven months ago, we went through a time where God just pushed us back closer. And we are, we have been like this almost daily. Every now and then there'll be a really, really busy day, and we, boy, we mourn that. We make sure tomorrow we're going to have more time together. We just love being in each other's presence. I even go to Michael's with her. Believe that? I even have the Michael's app on my phone, so when she wants one of those 40% off things, she says, here, you buy this. Yes, ma'am. But I don't do it because I want to please her. I do it because I love her. My 
And I want my life with Jesus to be the same way. I want to be passionately listening to every single nuance of His voice in my life. I want my relationship with Christ to be even more important than my relationship with my wife, as important as that is. And I want to challenge you to say, yes, today I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill my heart, recognizing the fact that I may be filled now, and 10 minutes later I have to pray it again. That's okay. The longer that you do that, the more it will become a pattern. Secondly, pray for unity and growth in our church. I think we should all be praying that God will help us But I believe that growth can only come as we have unity within our body. God is not going to send people, especially young believers or pre-believers, into our midst if we're not unified. I mean, we have to be unanimous. There should be unity. If we're seeking together to reach out. I love the senior adults that had, they, they sponsored our pastor's coffee. this week. We were talking about welcoming young families as they come and making them feel like they're already part and exercising those those grandparent, great-grandparent genes and them that love on the little ones as they come in. But will you join me in praying that God will continue to Last week we had more people in worship we've had in 18 months. I believe that God will continue to bless us, but we cannot measure success merely with that, but rather in what is He bringing to us because of our obedience. And then thirdly, last week we talked about prayer. I want to ask you this morning, you'd be willing to say, I would be willing to volunteer to be part of the prayer team. We're just going to be setting up several prayer teams in our church over the next few months. Some of them are going to be prayer teams that can pray for prayer requests that come on the Connect card. That's why I tell you, if, if you write on a Connect card, I need this, this prayer, uh, I have this prayer need, know that it will go to one of our prayer team members and they will be praying for you. Whether they contact you is not the point, they'll be praying for you. That's why if it's something that's private, you can send it to, to the pastors and we will see it in private. A text message. We want to start a prayer team that will be praying during this hour that will be, that will be out in another place in the church, maybe over here or in the conference room, praying for our worship service that God will bless and speak to you. And if you'd be willing to give one Sunday a quarter to come to church, but rather than coming in to worship, go to for the work. There'll be other prayer teams that will be going to hospitals, to nursing homes, and other places. If you'd like to if you say, I'd be interested, just tell me more about that. Mark that in your next step. But the very most important next step you can take is rendering your life. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, now would be the time to do it. The other day, getting ready to have my last meeting with Jake before their wedding. And um, Randy said, oh, I forgot, I got one more thing I need to say. Reached into his about the Lord. He said, My fiance about three months ago led me to Christ. He shared with me the gospel. Next week, he'll formally come and say, if it's not weekend, next weekend she's here, I'll have her come so you can meet her. God is still in the business of working miracles. 
And if he's not yet worked that miracle in your life, probably not because he's that Acknowledge him as Lord and Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what it says. Men that stood before Father, it's so much Father, you want us in the 21st century to be effective servants. Some of us need to pray for your spirit to fill us. We've not been filled by your spirit in months, years. And as Daryl said this morning, we want to go back to that time when we felt like we were in sync with you 100%. And the way to do that is just. Some of us want to commit ourselves to praying for our church to continue to grow, not just in numbers, but in unity and in love and in a sense of reaching and speaking out into our community the good news of the gospel. And then there's some of us that would like to put some legs to our prayer and say, I'd like to join a prayer team. But there may be others that just need to accept your son as their Savior. Whatever it is that you want to do in us right now, prepare to sing. I pray that you'll do it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Will you stand with me as we sing?